the Yak Babies. Sex, Presidents, and Sometimes Books. Welcome to Yak Babies, the only podcast on the internet sponsored by Haircut Insurance, when your new snip isn't hip. My name's Aaron, here are my personal pals, Dave. Morning, boys. Morning to you. We have Brick. Hello. And, of course, we have New Mainer Nico. New Mainus Nico, rather. Good morning. Yes, it is morning. Boys. Well, it's not really actually afternoon, but it's fine. It's not morning. Not in the slightest. We have our third installment of our follow-up or feedback episodes of our Secret Santa books, reading roulette exercise, whatever you want to call that, where we each assigned a book to a personal pal to read, and we're going to check it and see how it went for them. Now, Dave, this is a book you assigned to me. You are my secret Santa, as mm-hmm. you always are. And you assigned Dana Spiata's Stone Arabia for me. Indeed. So I want to hear from you, like, why you assigned this book to me. We talked about this a little bit in the episode, but I want you to get deeper into it. What made you think this was a good read for me, Aaron? I think... Oh, it's last name. Jesus Christ. Bleep that out. Me, <laughs> 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 Aaron... So scaredy number. Too many buzz balls. Have you never said that before? No. <laughs> I don't think so. I definitely don't want it out no. there. Brag point for your address. <laughs> well, Aaron, okay, bleep. proceed. Proceed. <laughs> I think you know at the time it had been about ten years since I read it, but what I recalled of it was this unfulfilled creative. So the mm. I guess focus of the book, not the main character, but the main character's brother, is this musician who like has a lot of talent, had a lot of drive, but had some bad breaks along the way and just never really made it to the degree that he felt like he deserved to make it. So one of his ways of dealing with that is to like start what he calls his chronicles, which is just like a fictional, well, he puts together a real body of work, but you know, he'll like, so he'll make a CD and he'll release it to like his sister and a few other family members and friends and stuff. But then his chronicle is like full of reviews from major outlets and, you know, it's like, so he's constantly keeping a record of what he feels like his life should be as like this famous musician. Reviews he writes himself, right. And not all glowing either. He's like critical of himself when he feels like he should be critical of himself. So it's really, it's really interesting. And he, you know, and I think, so he works as a bartender, a lot of drugs and alcohol. He's just, he's... It's like his main focus in life is, you know, putting together this documentation of this career he never really had. And And something about that, in particular, the music angle, I think, made me feel like you would get into this character and, and appreciate a lot of what he's experiencing. Maybe particularly in... I guess, combination of the way that Mary Robeson's story makes you feel like those lines at the end, Mm. which I know you can recite. I can't at the moment, but you know about talent that just, it's not coming. Yeah. That it was a a far worse thing to be only a little special, to have only a little talent. Yeah. That thing. Yeah. And maybe this guy, I mean, you know, obviously we can't tell it's a book, but it seems like all indications are that this guy could have had an actual successful music career if things had taken a, different turn yeah it's tricky because the narrators for the most part are his sister denise and himself there's a third kind of limited omniscient narrator too which we'll get into but there yeah it kind of raises the question of who how do you know what the the quality that we're talking about here because 
It's coming from unreliable sources. Nico, you're in, so Nico read this book as well. So Nico oh, did his okay, homework good. too. Uh, so we have a third <laughs> voice here. And Nico, you were going to say something earlier. I think I was just going to say, doesn't he also like live above his sister's garage, or like he lives in a he lives in a weird apartment, like and he doesn't always make rent. Like he works as a bartender, but not very much, and he always needs money. Yeah, it's yeah, not he, with his sister, but he does live in sort of like a kind of a attic apartment kind of. Yeah, he lives right? above a garage, and the garage itself is his recording studio. Yeah. But yeah, he's definitely sort of like, you know, on the cusp of being indigent, right? Like, he's sort of right. like, he's mm-hmm. he's got a home, but he's on the fringes. He, you know, signs up for food stamps. Like, he sort of like is, you know, financially insecure. And that's going to be part of the narrative, too. Yeah. So yeah. I, I also should say that I reread this book, too. So I first read it yeah. in 2012 when it came out and reviewed it, and I liked it a lot. And I've reread it and have different feelings. So, um, But I'll, I'll save that oh, interesting. for okay. the wow. moment. Okay. I'm looking forward to hearing sort of the new thoughts. So I, I, that's why I was curious to to hear kind of what you thought or, or sort of your intentions for assigning this reading to me because – you did a great job. This is exactly my kind of thing. Yeah. And I was impressed by how uncannily you were able to suss out a book that would just like suit like right in my wheelhouse. Oh, good. And it also in ways that you, you couldn't have known. So you was, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go. Like what? What did you like about it? What? Well, I mean, the things that, that Dave said are right. Like I like music, obviously. I like reading about music. This does a good job of that. Dana Spiata, obviously is experienced as she must have a journalism background to some extent or music criticism. She just writes about music very beautifully and effectively. I like that obviously, but also like Dave says, like the theme of thwarted creative ambition or, you know, h- hidden creative ambition, maybe in some ways speaks to me both in sort of my feelings about, you know, my own work or lack thereof, but also people I know have known across my life, friends and, you know, people who are intensely creative and who mostly published their work in a desk drawer. I've always been impressed by them, always been sort of fascinated by how they do their work, but also sort of like thought, like, I wonder why they didn't, they could have been huge. Like they, they should be producers and, and sort of stars. They should be celebrated in there. And they're not because they, uh, you know, there's various reasons why. But also, Dave, there's a second or a third or fourth, I don't know, resonance that you couldn't have known or prepared for. And I haven't talked about it too much on the podcast, but I'll talk about it today because it's relevant, which is, you know, my dad died recently. My dad died in October. And you assigned this book before then, but there is a strong undercurrent of how do you handle family, especially parents who are infirm. Mm-hmm. And the idea of what happens, there's a couple chapters that are really about, like, thinking about your parents death and all that was you know it was it was you know very appropriate and very things i'm going through right now and thinking about constantly that you you guys said you couldn't have known back when you signed this in what september or august but was right on the money and in kind of an eerie way i told nico before i finished this yesterday morning i finished the last couple pages that i need to finish before we started recording and nico was like how's it and i was like i liked it i liked it a lot I told him it was good. It's things I'm interested in and also made me feel bad, uh, which is, you know, a thing that I like, I guess. Yeah. Like made me feel awful That's, in some ways. Well, I mean, we've talked about that before, right? What do you want out of good fiction? Yeah. It's to make you feel something. Yeah. And I felt a and lot. Aaron specifically wants to feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> most always. Well, <laughs> it was like, I do feel bad. So it just kind of resonates with that. Yeah. So, yeah. So plot wise, just kind of basic description. Yeah. I think Dave already kind of set it up. This is, it, the, it kind of reads as if. You're, you're dipping in and out of the Chronicles. So Denise, the sister of Nick, she's his biggest fan. She's sort of his like main supporter through life. And you sort of, it's from her perspective. And she 
is reading through the Chronicles here and there and then talking about what's going on in her life currently too. But then there are breaks where it goes into a third person as well. You kind of like you're, it's not always totally clear what the structures until the very end. It kind of like all wraps up pretty effectively, I think. And so there are these multiple parallel realities going on. There's the real life. There's what Denise imagines is going on. And then there's the Chronicles. Nick's sort of fake or imagined life for himself that even he says towards the end is not exactly that different from his real life, but just different enough yeah. that sort of resembles this, like, you know, with a couple of small changes, he could have been something and instead he right. is nothing. And there's the counter chronicles, right? Right. Yes. So she's kind of writing her own chronicles, right? Uh, which is what the book ends up really being is sort of most of it is her attempt to, to fall in line with what Nick has done and to write her version of the chronicles where she's in the same way, writing a sort of a, a alternative life to herself. Let's talk about voice and sort of writing style a little bit. The sort of voice of Spiata. I really enjoyed the way this was written. I thought that the voice was, was really strong. Dave, what drew you to the voice here? Was there something specific that she does that you liked or, or anything you can sort of point out in terms of takes or stylistic habits that you enjoyed? Well, I definitely like the variety of styles here. Like when we get to read from Nick's Chronicles, it's like it's different enough from reading her chronicles. And then, like you said, we get into like, there are spots where we get into sort of this omniscient narrator situation. I mean, you know, it definitely, I think it's designed to call into question like how much of either of these chronicles is actually true, right? Is actually happening. Right. Because for all we know, I mean, she, she says that all of Nick's stuff is fictionalized, for all we know, all of her stuff is fictionalized too. Right. Like even so to go ahead and enter spoiler country here for this stuff, if you don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and, and stop listening now and just catch up later. But at the end, Nick disappears. He dies. He may have killed himself. He may have not killed himself. We're not sure, but he's gone. And what's left is the Chronicles. And so part of that tension is like, well, what happened to Nick? Did he kill himself? Like is Denise using her Chronicles to imagine a reality where he didn't and he just escaped and sort of found a different life or did he really just sort of leave and kind of leave the ambiguity for them to sort out it's not clear and that is part of the this sort of larger question of you know what do you buy or what do you accept in terms of reality for yourself yeah and questions too also of of like legacy right like because even though yeah. even though none of his you know, he, he know, his music is never reviewed in the New York Times. So, like, there's a lot of stuff in the Chronicles that is just, you know, provably false. But he also does leave behind this huge body of actual work, you know, yeah. if if Denise is to be believed. Wait, Denise? Yeah, yeah Denise. Yeah, and she... Denise, yeah. And she referenced, or I think he references, actually, Henry Darger. Right, uh, who right. Who was a cartoonist who created the Vivian Girls and that whole... There's a great documentary called, I think, In the Realms of the Unreal, maybe. Which is fascinating look at... Someone who was similar to Nick, kind of a shut-in, who was, you know, almost obsessively creative and creates this whole cartoon fantasy world that's primarily about this, like, group of adventurers called the Vivian Girls. And he died in obscurity. And then his stuff was discovered, and, and people have sort of later in life celebrated what Henry Darger did. But he, you know, he died alone. He died like a—he was, I think, mentally ill, and there was, you know, various sort of circumstances there. So definitely setting up a parallel too. This also reminds me of, I wish I could remember the name of the artist. I can't, unfortunately, and I haven't been able to find it in my research, but I'm sure if I dig find harder, I'll find it. There's an artist who creates basically kind of the same thing, fake albums. And I, I went to this exhibit at the ICA a couple of years ago to see it. And it was really fascinating. It's just a, a whole record collection of just fake records. Not 
music, but just the sort of like the context around music. So lineups for bands and histories and recording sessions, but it's all meticulously detailed. You know, one thing Nick says in the narration or in, in discussion with Denise is that he takes care of everything. He's attentive to every detail and he makes a legitimate alternate life for these, these personas. He even says that he has written collections of writing by his critics stuff he never published or showed people, but he sort of wrote entire books of, of their works. He's so obsessively in his alternate world. And that kind of obsession is, you know, really compelling, but also kind of sad too at the same time, right? Because you sort of feel that sense of, well, if this has just been directed in a certain way, like what could it have been? But also the sort of other side is maybe the world isn't ready for this kind of creative voice potentially. <laughs> and there's just, there's a yeah. measure of defiance too. And it's, at, at yeah. least it, yeah. to me, right? Like, okay, the, this industry didn't accept me, but definitely should have. And I'm, you know, I'm experimental. I'm a musical genius and I'm going to show you all anyway. Yeah. And, and, you know, she, Denise or, or Dana Espiata or whoever frames Nick as sort of like kind of a multiple, like sort of like a, we call it like a polymath, right? Is yeah. able to do everything, you know, is good at writing pop songs and a good experimentation, experimentational, so art rock or whatever, he does everything. He has folk groups. He has, you know, kind of dance groups. He sort of has everything, can sort of write every song. One thing I like this book, too, is that she's very careful to not give you too much of the actual music, right? Which is always a danger of writing about music, I think, is authors tend to be, I guess not always, but like if you're an author who's a thwarted musician, you're writing about music, then it's just a trap to write about music and then to show that you actually don't have you can't write a song, right? Yeah. And then this happens a lot. And the one time we get lyrics from Nick from a song he's written, it's a it's a little trick she plays. I liked it a lot because he's playing a song and I'm reading thinking, this sucks. This is like dog shit lyrics. And I was like, this is breaking the spell. Like you've created a character of Nick who's this sort of musical genius. And now we're seeing his art is kind of like shitty. And then she comes in the last minute and says, oh, I just wrote that right now he made it spontaneously and so like, oh well it makes sense that it sucks because it's not like he put a lot of effort into it and mm-hmm. his sort of spontaneous stuff is passable very clever i thought and very effective to avoid that that trap whereas you know it might be tempting for others to sort of easily slip into that yeah so do you think that was nick saying that like do you think that nick was telling the truth or do you think oh. that he was covering for like he could tell because i kind of read that as like he could tell that people didn't like the song and then he was like well oh, i just read that right now Interesting. I just, I just wrote that right now. I can see that. I trusted the voice, but I can see where you're, where you're coming from too. That you know, who knows? But yeah, I kind of read it as he's so talented he can sort of toss stuff stuff like that and be like, oh, well, it wasn't. You know, that was just making that up. So who right. cares? But I can see it both ways. But, but it is true. hard to pin down. It's kind of Nabokovian in that way. It's like mm. there's webs of unreliable narrators, and you don't like you could, and because of that, you can like read things in multiple ways. Yeah, definitely. Dave, what did you make of the? So they're, they're, the parts of the narrative that aren't focused on Nick are kind of Denise in her life. And she there's a pretty important section where she has what you might call like an emotional breakdown tied to the news. And this is set in 2004. And so she's you know thinking about and, and reacting to the Iraq war. There's the Abu Ghraib torture, prison torture scandal that comes up. And there's what I, th- I couldn't, I didn't check into it. I'm not sure if that story is real with the Mennonite or Amish girl who's kidnapped which forms kind of like the basis of the conclusion for the narrative how did you find those sections what do they do for you as a reader well i guess one thing is that it gives us a better 
chance to understand or to try to understand what's going on with her. I mean, most of her narration is her chronicles, which consist of her relationship with Nick, right? So it's like, right. we definitely get the sense that she feels like her life has been sort of subsumed, subsumed by his... I don't know existence i guess and and the his need for her too to to take care of him so you know she kind of has a career she doesn't really give a shit about she's got a boyfriend she doesn't really give a shit about she kind of yeah. takes care of her mom also who is sort of slowly and then maybe more rapidly toward the end sliding into dementia and she takes care of nick yes. and she has a daughter with whom she doesn't you know she lives across the country and they don't have the closest of relationships so it's like most of her life is filled with obligations to work, obligations to family members, and a relationship she doesn't really care about. She doesn't seem to have much going as far as her own interests, right? There was, um, yeah. in early on, we learned that, unless it's something Nick was inventing, I can't recall, that she set out to become an actress. They grew up in LA, she wanted to be an actress, but then just didn't continue pursuing it and you know, and now her whole life is like Nick, Nick and her mom and being Nick's number one fan and, you know, chronicler of of his chronicles. Yeah, he writes a letter in his chronicles that's purportedly from her to her daughter explaining herself in relation to Nick. And you don't know at when you because it's like chapter two. So you don't know early on that it's a it's meant to be sort of like a reflection on suicide or reflection on death letter. But it later becomes that. And yeah, he invents for her the story that she wanted to become an actress and she was prized because she like her audition was accidental and she was discovered as like a natural talent, but it was just a fluke and she ends up sleeping with the professor of the art acting class, whatever, and then she eventually fails out. And she says in a reaction that she like did think about being an actress, but it wasn't like a serious thing and that Nick uses he obviously has invented a character for her that minimizes her ability. You know, he sort of positions her as someone who is thwarted too. It almost seems like his stories is parallel there, right? Someone who almost had it, but, but couldn't quite get it yeah. because of, of various reasons. Whereas in the Chronicles, he's glorified. He has, you know, adoring fans. He's a subject of magazine profiles. He goes on tour. He's won awards. He's been, you know, regaled or whatever. Whereas in real life, he's just, yeah, the bartender, the guy who maybe plays a show here and there locally, but probably not, but who's this like, you know, purported to be this authentic genius. Yeah. And so I wonder if the news sections are meant to sort of show, you know, she's so wrapped up in these other people. It's like she almost loses touch with the, the world outside her. And so I don't know, maybe there's something there, but like suddenly she is consumed by these news stories because, you know, it's like a glimpse of the, the world outside of these concerns that she's so wrapped up in that are very localized yeah she describes intense feeling right that she she like watches the news and she feels empathy to an extreme degree you know she's sobbing and she's looking at the story of the missing amish girl and she gets equally worked up thinking about the situation of the abu Ghraib detainees but also the torturers and she sort of what was that woman's name lindy something lindy 
I can't remember. You know, the, the famous person in the pictures, the one that you, you would think of. And you know, imagines her as someone who also had dreams that weren't achieved. And she's now she's become the sort of vilified face of torture, which is true. But she goes to the news for these extreme... Uh, there's the section where she cries about the teen idol who kills his family, right? She had a crush on kind of a stand-in for David Cassidy. And then she you know, in the fictional account of the store of, of the novel, this this character gets older, has a family, then kills his wife and child. I think himself too. And she has an intense reaction to that. She's she's reacting strongly to the news and things that are happening in her life, she's not reacting quite as strongly to. It made me think of I guess the way I took it was the Chronicles are a better world, right? They're tempting, they're they're a way to escape from a bad world the world doesn't for you know war and political strife yeah. and kidnapping and violence and murder like all this stuff like the chronicles are fake but why would you not want to live there it's a much happier world to live in than to live in the world that we live in now it does also seem like they are kind of cast as self-indulgent like mm. on Nick's part because he doesn't really live in the real world like he doesn't right. like Denise without Denise like he would he would not be able to do any of this. Like he has, right. he needs money. He needs, you know, a place to live. He needs all this stuff that Denise kind of plugs in for him. And without that, it seems like the Chronicles wouldn't exist. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, probably so. I mean, the, she subsidizes his rent. You know, he gets sick, right? So part of the story is that he gets, develops gout, I think. Mm-hmm. And just seems to be sort of generally, in failure he's a lifelong alcoholic and drug addict and you know things are obviously shutting down he's i think turns 50 yeah is kind of the the climax of the the novel and so yeah you're probably right like without her support he probably would be you know uh uh, in a much worse place but he doesn't see it as that he seems to see it kind of as more he is because she's always been in the position of supporter he is somewhat blithely unaware that his life is only possible because of her, essentially, right? Well, and right. also that he's such a genius that, like, you know, this should be, like, he's part of the patronage system, right? He shouldn't have to yeah. work and, and support himself because his only, you know, all of his time and effort should be dedicated toward making music. Yeah, and he, you know, he presents his his albums and his products to the people, to Denise and to her daughter and so forth with kind of like a aplomb like he's he sort of believes as they do that this is a major event to get you know another copy of the chronicles another he sort of is recording this anthology of private music and they sort of receive it you know her daughter writes blogs about it and tries to make a documentary about her genius uncle this you know unheralded kind of folk figure outsider art kind of thing you know I, i thought about was I was reading, I thought about Don DeLillo a lot. It reminded me of Don DeLillo's writing, which I think is an interesting comparison because it just like the emotional, it wasn't, it's not very dramatic, right? And I wanted to, to hear Nico's take on this because this is definitely not a story that I would, it doesn't, there really is no story, right? There's no, there's no plot to speak of really. It's kind of more like, it's diary, it's like observations essentially. And DeLillo does that, I think, really well. And, and Spiata does it really well, too. And along with that, sort of the, kind of the interference of the news into this fictional world that sort of touches on current events that sort of send the characters spiraling into sort of like philosophical, you know, sand pits. I sort of felt that was DeLillo-ish as well. I don't know if that sort of 
stood out to you, Dave or Nico at all? I'm trying to keep my opinions. Out. <laughs> <laughs> you can have an opinion. You can die like this. Boy, this yeah, totally fine. yeah. Uh, I, 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 I don't imagine you did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this isn't this isn't my kind of book. So, hundred like, percent. As soon yeah. as Aaron said that you'd read it, I'm like, oh Jesus, Nico hated this book. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's just not my it's not my kind totally. of a book at all because it's much it's it, it is much more like kind of a character study. I feel like yeah. or multiple character study, but it I think it also specifically like rejects any kind of progression or conclusion or anything anything like that i don't know what to make of the ending i don't know what to make of the title (laughs) which is based on the ending i didn't like nick i didn't like denise you know (laughs) like so actually that's well i mean dave you should you should answer this question first but then my next question would be do you like nick as a character and Mm. do you think you're supposed to like huh well it's kind of a frustrating character yeah i can definitely see some of myself in him <laughs> so then the question becomes do i like that part of myself i'm, I'm not sure that's something I, I wrestle with well there are i mean there are parts of him that are admirable like he is kind of unwavering in his belief and he's unwavering in his creative output the problem is just that he also doesn't really have a job and he doesn't really support himself and he mm-hmm. doesn't really and he relies on Denise so much that it makes it makes it makes like the pursuit of art feel like a self indulgence mm. to me, which I don't I don't like because you can you can also just be like have a be able to support yourself and then pursue your art also you know it doesn't have to be taking away from other people yeah no I think you're totally right about that um, and we all know people who do pursue their art and who are still like good people <laughs> you know, at the core of it. But I think this is beyond pursuing art, though. Like, Nick is not just someone who is talented. He's someone who is obsessive and who is recessive, too, right? He's wounded or or something, you know, his parents divorced, maybe, or, or something about the time period of the late 60s into the early 70s. It's, it shuts him down, and he is unable to or refuses to capitalize on those talents, if we believe Denise and believe Nick that he really is that good of a songwriter, and Ada, you know, as well, then he should be, at the very least, a low level. He should have had one, like a one hit in the 80s, right? Or the late 70s, maybe. Like one pop hit, you know, like, I like a power pop musician who has like that one song that everyone loves and never hears from again, that kind of thing. Right. A, one, just, a one hit wonder. But he literally refers to himself as a no hit wonder. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And he much prefers, you know, if you believe the story about the manager, he much prefers to just like, do his thing quietly and not have to worry about all the hassle. Yeah. And in doing so, he's allowed to have control. This is another thing that resonated really closely with me was the need for control and sort of how it can become poisonous, but also is very clear. So the desire to like, you know, have control of your circumstances and not have to worry about how someone might receive your art. If you send an album out to a label or to an agent or whatever, and you get rejected, or even you says you get, you know, a record contract and you produce your, your first album and it goes out and the audience hates it, then you don't have control over that. Whereas Nick does. He even controls his negative press. He's able to internalize his criticism and sort of put it into, or externalize it rather, to put it into the form of the, the print review. But he's the one who did it. He's bracing against himself as opposed to outside forces. And I, I understand that completely. Right. But that also makes it seem like, you know, the version of Nick who is maybe a low level musician, like a yeah. low level working musician 
who puts out albums, like actually puts out albums, and maybe gets shit on and like has to go on tour and has to like do you know play in front of not a lot of people and like all this kind of shit. Yeah. That version of Nick is definitely has a worse life. Yeah. But also potentially puts out better music, like because he has that real kind of feedback. Yeah. And that those real audiences that, you know, he can kind of feed off of or or kind of trim his output. That also makes it seem self indulgent to me that that control is a is a need for self indulgence because totally. he doesn't want he wants the the happy life with no friction. And it's like he can he can give himself friction and act like he is like you know, has these has these detractors and has these critics who don't love everything he does, but he can very carefully set the level and tenor of those criticisms so that they're not they they don't touch anything that really is a raw nerve. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, control definitely is a self indulgence, right? I mean, you're absolutely right about that, and it's not. You know, this is like a therapy conversation, I guess. But like, <laughs> I recognize it myself not as like a virtue, but just a reality. And, and I, I see it in Nick the same way. This is someone who is just dealing with that intense need and what that means for him, him and his life. And yeah, but I think you're totally right. Like a different, his life would be better. I think Denise says this too, even. She says it would be better, but also worse, right? He would be probably better off financially and probably be better off maybe in terms of health but also would be miserable. He wouldn't be in control. He would have to be sort of at whim, at, at the whim of the sort of populace and fame and market and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, which, I mean, there's part of me who wants to just slap him and say, like, that's what the world is like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, you would be sadder because that's the real world. Sure. And it's not it's not the fantasy world that you build for yourself. Sure. But we, we also, like, yeah, we also don't know at what remove he's putting together these chronicles like does as he's writing out these reviews like maybe it's a different part like maybe later he thinks of a review he wrote of of a new album of his like a new york times review as like actually existing having been written by a different person and having been received by you know not fictitious listeners right or just because we don't have almost like a we because we don't have access to him we don't know if he is always aware of, of what he's doing and aware that this is all fake outside of the music itself that he makes. Yeah, almost like a psychological break kind of situation. Sure. Where he yeah. Sort of like seeing this as reality. Yeah, sure I mean, that. that's interesting. Yeah, we deal with mental incapacity, you know, on her mom's part. And I think it's a theme with with some yeah. other characters as well. So who, I mean, his mom there, she attributes it to age and dementia. and But I don't know who... Who really knows? Yeah, I mean, they they all seem to have their own issues. Certainly, I mean, uh, Denise, uh, among them, she has. I mean, the fact that she, her climactic action is to go drive, fly to New York, drive to upstate, find the Amish community where the woman who whose daughter was kidnapped is from, and to go knock on her door, lie to the people why she's there, and ask. If she, see if she can be of help, and the woman just right. tells her like, "No, you can't be of right. help." So let's let's talk about that because that's that's yeah. basically the ending, and also that's the title because the yeah. the place that she goes to is Stone Arabia, yeah, and that's the Amish community, I think. So I'm working up notes. It's been a couple months since I read it, but she knocks on the Amish woman's door to 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 try to help her find this missing child. The woman refuses her help and says her child is already dead, right, or says that she trusts that. 
that she's with God. Like that, that yeah. that's God has taken over here or whatever. What do you guys make of that? And why do you think that's the title? I want to hear Dave's thoughts first. It's a good question, obviously. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure that I have an answer. You know, when I first read through that scene again, the, the new, when she's talking about the news story, I kind of forgot what the ending is like, so I didn't pay close enough attention mm. to it. <laughs> My take on it is that it's the first time outside of Ada making a documentary, it's the first time in the, in the novel anyone acts at all outside of the Chronicles, right? You know, aside from small things like just going about your life, like going to work and having a relationship or not, like no one does anything. Like Nick works the bar, gets sick, and disappears. Otherwise, he makes the Chronicles. He records music and he publishes about them. Denise goes to work. She sees her a shitty boyfriend who gives her Thomas Kincaid shit because he's a nerd. And otherwise, she tends to her mom and that's it. Like the one time that anyone does anything outside of the action of that sort of hermetic sort of sphere, she goes on this strange, ill-advised journey. And her reward for doing so is to be told that she can't help. Like you don't, (laughs) you aren't wanted here and you can't do anything actually. Like the thing you thought was like your big, you know, it's a sort of a sad, at least I found it to be a sort of a sad, ironic conclusion of like, I'm finally going to do something. I'm going to be important. I'm going to matter in the world. And, and what I chose to do is completely irrelevant and is still wrapped up in my own sort of like neuroses about the world. You know, it's her response her desire to go help is not really born from nature of helping, but born from her own emotional reaction to the story and sort of how she felt about her mom and her childhood. And so she's, she's spurned in, in a nice way. You know, I give the Amish woman credit for not just like telling her to get fucked, but she was like, you know, sorry, it's, we're it, this, it's too late for that now. Like this is, we're beyond this. And also what are you doing here? This is invasive. Right. And, and, <laughs> and she has to leave. Maybe one, I mean, so what is she doing there? It's like Nick disappears. Maybe he's dead. Maybe he's not. But she definitely get the sense that he's never coming back. So like she finally is sort of given this chance to go live her own life. And instead, her first action is to go find someone else to take care of. Yeah, exactly. To to, to be relevant still. Yeah, totally. Let's see. There's something. Oh, there was a part where... Denise says, I think the chapter starts with, or maybe it was a paragraph, I can't remember, I didn't write it down. It starts with, she says, I've always been bothered by the passing of time, paraphrasing it, something like that. And I was like, oh yeah, ding, that's exactly, like, that is my number one neuroses, my number one fear, and a like, psychological hang-up is the passing of time. And again, I was like, this could not have been a better pick. Like, this, is, <laughs> this is so close to the bone in in you know uncomfortable ways you know i said that it made me feel bad of myself and that's true but not in a way that i didn't like enjoy or, or i think it was maybe necessary it's not that i was punishing myself reading this but more like i understood those feelings like i felt acutely denise's fear when she talks about physical touch with her mom as she's aging and sort of what it means to be an adult caring for an aging parent who's infirm and and, and how that looks and feels it brought up a lot of things that are painful from experiencing that directly recently but it was so helpful to have that it was a, a really cathartic experience to get to read it and go through it but yet i won that reading i put it down and i was like i'm not gonna finish this <laughs> like it's it was, <laughs> right. it weighed so heavy i was like i can't do this anymore and i picked up the next day like i usually do but it did you know at some point i was like i think i'm almost overdosing on relatability i related to the characters too closely mm. uh, who did you relate to the most Denise, definitely. Denise. I can't 
relate to Nick as much. I mean, I do in some ways, but like I'm not as creative. But like Nick is a to me is an aspirational figure in some ways, <laughs> right? I wish I was that talented. Yeah, I'm more Denise. I have like a little talent, not even that, and mostly I just like go by my life. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Dave? Um, who did I identify more with? Yeah. yeah, like I said, there were there are parts of Nick that I I feel like I've you know there, despite what it does to the other people in his life, there is something appealing about just like your only obligation is to tend bar at a place you're really comfortable tending bar at. Another than that, you just drink and do <laughs> drugs and and think about your own and create your own work right. like follow your art or whatever it's yeah. destructive for sure but there's also something that's appealing about it right. yeah totally you know living a quote-unquote simple life that is just and and where your art really exists for art's sake like that's the thing about nick like ultimately it's there just to be there right it doesn't have a sort of larger it's not informed by market or by financial uncertainty it's yeah like totally informed by what he wants to do he gets to self-apply the label of, of misunderstood artist and then that sort of removes yeah. all obligation of his to think about an audience when he's writing or you know making music yeah absolutely uh, i want to ask brick brick so you've been listening you didn't read this uh but i want to get your take does this sound like anything you would <laughs> you would want to read potentially what are your, what's your take on hearing a conversation? What is your feeling about Stone Arabia? It's not the kind of book that I dislike. Right. I think the, the characters you described are not the kind of characters that I like. So it doesn't sure. sound like I would like it. Yeah. I don't... S- structurally, I, I like that kind of book. Right. But the, the, stas- whole, like, the stasis novel? Yeah, I don't mind a stasis novel if the characters are interesting. Yeah. But the sort of musician angle of it doesn't really appeal to me so right well like Aaron said like there's not a lot of actual music yeah it's writing about music I mean it's a love letter to music criticism in some ways right and the way sort of like people write about music and musicians and how that feels which is you know close to my heart obviously but I do feel like without much in the way of actual music it is kind of it could be a standard for writing about any kind of sure totally but there are definitely specific references. Spiata obviously is a music head and she has things she's cueing you into. There's, you know, Velvet Underground references and Bob Dylan references and lots of those sort of bits for you to pay attention to, kind of fill in the blanks. So if you know, if you like or care about, you know, 70s punk, if you care about post-punk, if you care about power pop, you can sort of kind of like fit in figures and sort of you can imagine what Nick's album is probably sound like, right? With enough of triangulation from the references she's dropping but yes you're right ultimately this is not just about music this this music is just a a a sort of example of something larger about expression and and identity and that kind of thing dave have you read any other dana spiana novels this your only experience this is my only one after i first read this i recall getting one of her previous books but then I, i i didn't read it and it's long since disappeared gotcha so, uh, Dave, you mentioned uh, sort of like a changed reaction when I hear what that what that change was. Yeah, this time through, I remember the first time that I read it, and I was reading it for review, and I, I wanted to go back and read the review to to recall what I liked so much about it, but it was behind a yeah. paywall. I couldn't even read my own thing. A, <laughs> a year boys is a hometown paper. Oh, yeah? <laughs> this time... It took me more than two weeks to get through the first 50 pages. I just had real trouble getting into it. Once I did, and especially once I got past, I would say, the midpoint, I started, you know, ripping off big chunks of it. But, you know, I really expected to 
read through it and be like the whole time like, oh yeah, here's why I really, really like this book. That moment just never hit this time through. Interesting. So I I enjoyed it. I think it's well done. But yeah, it just, it didn't grab me like it it did the first time. Which, you know, brings up some of my own, like we've talked a lot about rereading and like, you know, the idea of saying, so like back in 2012, I might have said, yeah, that's a good book. Here, I, I would I mean, I wouldn't necessarily right now say that it's a bad book, but like, you know, I definitely wouldn't recommend it as strongly as maybe I did back then. Although I'm really glad that I did to you and I'm glad you enjoyed it. But, you know, there's something in there about how, you know, the book hasn't changed in the ensuing 10 years. So something about me has changed and that has led to me taking this book in differently than I did the first time. Yeah, that is yeah. interesting. And that's I mean, there's lots to potentially unpack there in terms of like both like just looking at like what what changes happened to you in the past 10 years but also the idea of a book or any work of art really that has a trick and once you understand the trick it doesn't work as well the next time Hmm. i don't know if that's the case here I, i couldn't say i haven't read it twice but i do think i could understand if the chronicles are much less interesting once you've understood what they represent what they are having gone through them once you know since we don't you know we're not nick's siblings we don't have the same sort of buy and we might be not as inclined to go back to what is a ultimately a pretty self-indulgent practice so what's sorry what's yeah. the trick just to spell it out oh i guess i was if there is a trick the idea of it would be the the novelty of the sort of parallel realities of the chronicles once you grok that then do you need to go back to get it again and if you did would it be as useful or as effective whereas the first time i felt very gripped by it because it was so you know startling right and interesting and, but maybe not i don't know i can't say but I, I could say that being one potential reading of that you know for yeah. for my reaction thinking about it more deeply in the past 45 seconds <laughs> <laughs> you know i wonder too if there's some element of so this is, we set up this Secret Santa thing and I gave some real thought to like a book that I wanted to recommend to you that I thought you would really like. And so maybe in a way it's similar to the feeling that you get when you like share your own writing with somebody. It's like a really self-critical, mm. like, you know, I start reading it and I'm like, well, yeah, this is, this is cool, but is it good enough for Aaron? Like, will it do to Aaron what I'm hoping it'll do. And then I usually decide that answer is no, because, you know, if I suck at writing, I also suck at recommending books for other people to read. Yeah, this is your this is your internal editor telling you that your recommendations can't be any good. Right, editor. exactly. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. So maybe for that reason, I, I had a hard time getting into it. Well, I'm happy to to assuage that worry and to say you knocked that out of the park. This is really a great recommendation. I, I loved reading it. Good, yeah. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> now, I, now I love it. <laughs> Like, actually, guys, I thought it was better than first. <laughs> I still want to tell you a little, little bit of a tangent, but so for me, the the nostalgia, like the rereading, kind of net, not living up to your initial mm. five star reviews, has now bled into uh, now. I'm I'm just straight up not rereading books because I don't <laughs> want to spoil my memories of them, and and also it spread over into I'm not. Uh, going to go see bands that I used to see. Wow! So, so uh, my wife and I were were tra- were trying to see uh, Boston Calling in uh, in May, oh, yeah. and we're looking at the lineup. And one of the days there was the National and the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, both of which I've oh, yeah, sure. gone to see multiple times and loved. 
and we listened to their later albums and we're like <laughs> i just i i i just think maybe we don't go to that day and right. we just leave those memories at, at, like impeccable you right. know as as they are and it's also happened to me with like reading the book snow crash that just came out in a new super nice edition and i've put it in my amazon cart before and i'm like i am not gonna i'm not gonna buy this because i I don't want to reread it and spoil the memory of it i don't know i mean yeah i I understand that memory is such a important part of this this novel especially too like i mean denise one of her things is that she's thinks she has early onset alzheimer's and she's worrying she's taking her mom's medication to prevent it Memory is important. Those memories of sort of who you were and what mattered to you at the time and can be treasured. And at the same time, like, you know, concert, festival tickets are expensive. So to pay that much money to go and be like, oh, hmm, maybe I don't like to spend as much as I used to. It's kind of a bummer. I can see that totally. Then again, I, you know, you can have the opposite experience too. Like I read Coast to Chicago sometime in the early aughts and I was like, I remember like, yeah, that was was pretty good, I guess. But then, you know, it didn't mean much to me. I didn't think about it again. And then I read it a few years ago and now it's all I can think about. Yeah. <laughs> right. I would be much more willing to, to revisit something that I would have rated like four stars versus yeah. something that I rated five stars. Cause four stars, it's like, you can cut it loose and it's like, all right, it's fine. But if yeah. you, something you rated five stars, it's like, that is a thing. Like I remember. Well, yeah, it's hard. That's reckoning with age, right? With yeah. getting older and just realizing that you're making, you're making new memories that are competing with your old memories and you're hoping that the old ones don't die, but also that your new ones have to match up. That's a complicated, yeah, it's a complicated setup. <laughs> Life, I suppose, complicated. <laughs> Damn it. And also a five-star book has only one way to go upon reread, right? Well, I guess two ways. Well, that's true, yeah. Exactly. Stay at five, but yeah, it can't go to six. You get some brag points, though. <laughs> so so good job recommending this book, Dave. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for... I never, I've never heard Dana Spiata before, but now I think I'm going to follow up on her work and, and read some more of it because I really liked her style too. I was just like, I really bought the, the whole, the whole package of this book. I really, I really dug it. So good job. How many brag points is it worth for me? Great question. I think the listeners should handle that. I think, I think uh, just for reading it, we should each get ten brag points except for Brad. Hey, I'm all in favor of getting brag points. <laughs> Whatever makes sense. Exist. When you ask for brag points, big <laughs> points, yeah, big points. Damn it. Um, all right, I'll assign five brag points to each of you two wow. babies. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate. That. Hold on. Since when does Nico have the power to just unilaterally assign? He's keeping brag score. Points? So yeah, well, and I'm not assigning them. I'm not assigning them to myself. Points. I think anybody should be able to assign brag points to other people. Okay, so a gauntlet has been laid down. Listeners, go to the page. Patreon and address this uh, if you would like to to sort of handle our bragwood situation. You can do that at patreon.com slash yakbabies where we have our bonus podcast for $1 a month is all we're asking. You can get a whole separate feed of, of Yak Babies fun. There's games, bro-to-bro conversations, a whole separate podcast about ghost jokes, like upcoming podcasts about pickle jokes, dare I say it. Uh, there's lots to, to play with there. So go ahead and check that out again for $1 a month. It's worth your time. You can also email us at yakbabiespodcast at gmail.com if you have thoughts about the books we've read, things you want to say, you know, you want to argue against our reactions or give us recommendations. Do whatever you want to do there. It'd be great. We'd love to hear from you. Please write us. We're also on social media at yakbabies in most places, Twitter, etc. Go ahead and find us, and, and we'll be better at doing social media this year, I think. 
Uh, <laughs> also, might might yeah, be better. Maybe. I'm trying to lay that gauntlet down to see what happens. And then, of course, our merch, Yak Babies, pie, no, tinyurl.com slash Yak Babies, where our merch lives. There's all kinds of designs by Brick that are really funny. You can put them on mugs, T-shirts, posters, probably underwear, whatever you feel is appropriate there. Go and check it out. And until then, Yak Babies, yakking off. The Yak Babies would like to thank all the loyal listeners, and especially their patrons, both past and present, including Michael. Bonnie, Sebastian, David, Roger, Kathleen, Bailey, Andrew, Gilbert, and William Howard Taft. 